Hello and welcome to 2021. My name is Vinny and you are about to listen to a podcast of, well, it's a bit of a mishmash this one. First of all, I should probably let you know that I'm in Portugal, in Lisbon, and I'm out in the winter sun in January here and um, I've got a t-shirt on and a very heavy motorbike jacket and I am pretty much on the edge here because I didn't realise but it's, uh, it's pretty chilly and I'm talking to you whilst walking around the streets. Sometimes I'll have to have a face mask on. There's no one around at the moment and the law dictates that I don't have to wear it unless I'm in a public space or unless I'm threatening someone else. Uh, but I think I'll, I'll, uh, yeah, I'll have it off. That noise, by the way, is the noise of someone on an electric scooter on cobbles. That's a Lisbon benchmark. Um, yeah, so I'm going to be talking in this podcast. We're going to talk a little bit about the orange arse hat in the White House, or at the time recording in the White House. And I know he feeds off the energy of people talking about him and has, like, some bizarre mythical creature grown and become more aggressive and peculiar as the years go by, feeding off that energy. But it would be weird to not take the temperature of our planet right now without at least discussing the recent events riot of Washington DC Um, and I'm also going to talk a little bit about Brexit because you know that happened and then I'm going to talk a bit about Portugal so if if you're not really interested in politics or you don't want to hear a middle-aged white man rant because there's enough of that going on right now um, then I would skip on um, and ignore the next I don't know the next bit Um, But ultimately, what's going to happen in this podcast is I'm going to talk about the riots on Capitol Hill, I'm going to talk about Brexit, and then ultimately, I'm going to talk about being here in Portugal. And we'll see how we go. So let's start. There was a riot on Capitol Hill, and it was early last week. And it's one of those events now already, as it was happening, in fact, I could see it was going to be one of those events of one day someone will ask me, and someone will ask you where you were when, just like where you first saw those planes fly into the Twin Towers. It was always going to be a day of reckoning. Now, we could spend a bit of time going through exactly what happened, but you know exactly what happened. A unhinged, madcap, bonkers, city-slicking con man who has managed to completely changed the mindsets or at least hijack the mindsets um, of people that are very dissatisfied and unhappy with their life. Many of them not particularly well educated, many of them extremely religious, evangelical and open to conspiracy theories. These are all facts, we know that from the amount of cues that were visible from the QAnon movement which believes, and let's be very clear about this, that Democrats not only are evil, but they're evil because they're paedophiles and some of them eat children. Now, when you say stuff like that out loud, like so many things of 2020 and early 2021, and dare I say, probably the rest of 2021, it does feel a bit weird. And that's being mild. I mean, let's just break this down to what actually did happen. A man encouraged a riot. That man was the president. His personal lawyer asked for, quote, a trial by combat. A man 
who in the last couple of months has spoken at great length whilst his hair dye melted onto his face about how the election was rigged. And I think despite the fact that it's very easy to have a glass of wine, sit back and say Trump supporters are mental, they are human and they do have an intrinsic belief that this election was stolen. Now, it's hard to justify that because anyone with any great aspirations of truth starts by collecting data and there's no data to suggest that there was any mishandling of this free and democratic election. And when you look at a country of 360 million people, it seems to have been an astonishing success. And any court action that Trump tried to start was immediately thrown out of court because it had no credentials or merit. So here we have the personal lawyer, the personal unpaid, hair-melting, madcap lawyer of an unhinged president that seems to be various, always changing shades of orange, asking for a trial by combat, and you had the president saying, march down there, I will be with you, which of course was a lie, but no one ever picks him up on those, and asked, if you don't fight like hell, you're not going to have a country anymore. Near enough asked for the riot to happen by promoting the fact that the election was stolen. And when indeed it did happen, took an extraordinarily long time to say anything negative about it. Only did so really because he was in a position where he couldn't possibly not do that. And apparently took three attempts to record one uh, denouncing of the violence. Of course, sandwiched with the words of I know how you feel that the election was stolen. And more importantly, we love you. Yes. So, of course, the whole thing was as mad as a cheese platter on a very hot day. But it was also a really good way of understanding the current crisis that is American politics. Because sometimes you need a visual representation of the sheer awfulness that's going on in your average Thanksgiving dinner conversation. And if there was any doubt, and I really don't think there was, that America was unholy and dangerously fractured and divided in the most polarised sense it's ever been, it really is quite clear for everyone to see. Now, I'm not saying it was a good thing, but it did put at the forefront of our minds just how utterly damaged America and the political system is. In the very citadel, the very hub of democracy, there was a riot that threatened democracy. And let's not take that for granted. In the days that passed after this attack, we had various countries come out and denounce the very concept of democracy. Now, if we didn't think this was damaging for the five people that lost their lives, one of which was a government-working Capitol Hill police worker who was just trying literally to do his job and protect the environment of which he worked. So if we didn't think it was a crisis before, we certainly might want to consider the fact that it is a bit of a crisis when China and Russia are saying, look at this footage, I would like you to see this and realise, my lovely people, that actually democracy isn't all it's cracked up to be. And it's hard to dispute that. If you're a peasant worker that's recently moved to a city in China and you're working very hard to make the state a better place and to make your pockets a little bit heavier and perhaps one day to afford a car and you don't have access to fantastic information because there's no such thing as free and fair social media and of course your entire state media is controlled, 
it's quite easy to believe what the state are telling you, but you might have a few questions if you're a bit of a progressive, groovy thinker. And when you see the riots that took place with a man with a painted face and an American flag dressed as a Viking, you might think, actually, albeit that I'm not entirely in love with my government, I can't help thinking this democracy lark is a little bit overrated. And that's exactly what these governments want. Because while they're doing that and convincing you democracy is a bad idea, they can set up concentration camps for Uyghurs in the uh, far west of the country, for example. And who knows what else, what other monstrosities these governments might well be doing or are capable of in the name of their state. So, all of this to say, it was a shit show. We know that. It was awful. But it was a little bit more awful than we thought because when you're rocking the roots of the only system that really seems to be working, I mean, there are a lot of holes in capitalism, but I can't see any fantastic examples of communism that have been left behind. So I think that it's fair to say that this whole de democratic lark seems to be the best that we've got to work with. And there's some really good examples of it as well. If you do lose your way with it, you might want to consider just how... Um, fantastic a place to live Scandinavia is and I'm not just talking about commerce I'm talking about happiness and surely that's why we're here so if in doubt remember democracy pretty bloody important rocking the very roots of it for your personal gain and ego is possibly the most egregious thing one could do um, in a position of power and therefore of course if it's not clear already I feel that they should lock that man up and there's plenty of reasons to do so if i went on twitter and said even a thousandth of the things that donald trump has said in the last couple of years it's fairly obvious i wouldn't have a twitter account and indeed if i managed to cause mob rule as a result of my influence i have absolutely no doubt and no argument that i'd be locked up so how is he any different it's not fair and we need some justice. So that's how I feel about that. Probably pretty standard stuff, unless you're, you know, someone that thinks that Democrats are eating babies, in which case I can't get through to you anyway. There's nothing I can do. All I can recommend is that you just leave your little echo chamber of shouty people for a little while and consider the fact that there might be some hard, definite evidence that contradicts every belief you have and I know that that's really hard like that must be really hard I felt really sorry for a girl I used to know who was a Jehovah's Witness who had to turn her back on the church when she realised that it was all not what she wanted to be involved in and that there were massive holes in the Jehovah's Witness story including them predicting the end of the world I think what now five times getting it wrong each time although they might have some luck this year um, but yeah she had to turn her back on the church which means her family and the reason I draw this comparison is if you end up leaving an outfit whatever it may be whether it be a religion a cult or just a set in your world you would if you were someone that believes that Democrats are eating babies and Donald Trump is a legend you would probably call yourself in a group of like-minded friends who know the truth whatever you want to call your tribe is fine but you do have to look outside it occasionally and I appreciate that it's really hard to do that. That girl that I was talking about, 
turned her back on the church and indeed as a result her family and never spoke to her parents again and she had to get new friends she had to move town she had to go well she didn't have to but she ended up unsurprisingly going through some alcohol and drug abuse to try and settle ahead and understand what was going on she had a bloody hard time leaving her cult but now she's cool and you will not that anyone would possibly be listening to this that believes in QAnon, QAnon um, by this stage, but if you are of that thinking, then perhaps it's an idea to give your head a shake and, um, I don't know, just give up social media for a couple of weeks. Speaking of which, I think it's time now we all addressed the digital elephant in the room that is social media and the overwhelming power that it has to influence people, <laughs> to post not only pictures of dogs, but to turn up and actually attempt to overthrow the democratic house of the country that you dwell. Madness. All right, so in short, um, listen to the Sam Harris podcast. He's amazing. He's one of America's best thinkers. Subscribe to that. Um, He speaks a lot of sense, all evidence-based, all fact-based, with a little bit of rhetoric in there for good measure. and quite deservedly so. I can only imagine if I was an actual resident of the United States of America watching my country, this podcast would be a lot longer and a hell of a lot angrier. But I really recommend Sam Harris. He's a, a, a really wonderful thinker of our time. And if I was ever going to be in any position of power, he would be the first person that I would hire to try and get a gauge and some sort of plan, rectify the madness. Donald Trump is unhinged. He did unquestionably incite violence he did not denounce that very violence and he deserves to be not only impeached but criminally charged so if we can put ourselves in Donald Trump's mind for just a moment I have no doubt that that man clearly undoubtedly unswathingly believes everything he's ever done is the right thing to do hence not one apology for anything ever we really do need to consider that one person believing they're right in everything they say does not make them right. That's the same reason that many psychopaths are in prison. They really do think that they've done nothing wrong. But that man has blood on his hands. All right, let's move on. A bit dark, not particularly funny. Um, let's see if we can brighten up with some Brexit. <laughs> Oh, Christ. Right. Um, you might wonder, by the way, by why I'm doing all this, because I think my podcast is labelled as a travel podcast. Um, it's very loosely a travel podcast when all I'm doing is walking around the streets of Lisbon ranting like a madman. But I needed to get it off my chest. So far, it's feeling quite good. We will get to the travel bit a bit later. I can't not mention Brexit. OK, so... Wow. Brexit was a complete, and will be, a complete disaster. It was always going to be that way. The people that are on the other side um, would suggest that finally we, as Britain, have got the power to do whatever we want and we won't be held back by the bureaucracy and financial crippling punishment that is the EU. That would be their counter-argument to my argument, which they're very welcome to. We always had the right to make our own laws, and we always have done. Brexit, as you probably guessed from someone that travels the world a lot and has a UK passport, uh, has not been very good for me. So, obviously, of course, it's not fantastic. 
in any way. Um, but more to the point, it's not very good for the country. I mean, most economists overwhelmingly suggest that, of course, cutting off ties with your largest and uh, nearest geographically trading partner would only ever be economically crippling. The fact that there was nearly a no deal suggests that the whole thing was a complete disaster regardless. I mean, if you even asked anyone that was vehemently anti-Europe four and a half years ago when this vote started, have no deal, there would be very few people that suggested there would be um, any merit in having no deal. But that's what nearly happened. I mean, we were down to a few days for a bit there. So if you haven't caught the news of late, the UK has left the EU after four and a half years of messing around. I think it's worth noting, by the way, bear a thought for, bear in mind and spare a thought for anyone that's 22 or under. If you're a 22-year-old British person that has recently finished university and can't wait to go and travel Europe, live, work, um, without any problems or visas that are needed, then you can't and you never got a vote. Four and a half years ago, you weren't a voting age. So it's extremely disparaging that uh, millions of people that this will affect never even got the chance to vote in it. And I'm pretty sure that if we just concentrate on that point alone, we can all suggest that this is grotesquely unfair, no matter what your stance is. Then, of course, the fact that most people that left the EU or said they wanted to leave the EU, or indeed voted to leave the EU, did so on account of the fact that they thought they were being ripped off. And I get it. Like, if you feel like you're being ripped off, then you want change. But it turns out we kind of need our biggest trading partner. And what we've managed to get out of this deal is not much. So I really feel for the young people. And of course, equally, a lot of the people that voted to leave Europe were never, ever going to work in Europe or even be of working age. Some of them, in the last four and a half years, for obvious reasons, as well as just the constant marching of time, have died. So we have a very unfair question that was very unfairly asked that had the Tory party running around saying, we don't want to, um, well, under Cameron, the guy that proposed this original question, would you like to leave the EU, uh, running around spreading mistruths. We had uh, UKIP running around spreading mistruths and um, a very weak and, frankly, pretty much pathetic opposition party in Labour and Jeremy Corbyn. So it was never a very even and fair playing field to begin with. And the question is stupid. Do you want to leave the EU? Yes or no? I mean... You have to bear in mind, as Richard Dawkins said, um, he didn't feel as if he was in a position to have enough information and said that it was up to the elected officials to come up with answers, of, uh, to, come up with answers to questions of that idiotic magnitude. And so if an evolutionary biologist with degrees coming out of his hoo-ha doesn't think that he's of a position to answer that question then and I know I might sound elitist I just think Tracy who runs a hairdressing shop in Liverpool may well not have had enough of a noodle to beat all the bullshit on this one right I think that she may not have made an informed decision and we know this because a numerous polls have now been done to ask people if they would reconsider um, leaving the EU uh, in light of the fact that it's not going to save the NHS millions of pounds, as it once said, on the side of a bus, and uh, some slightly more large and 
ominous events have crept up in the last four and a half years to, to make us question everything, one in particular. So that's that. Um, what does it mean for me? It means that I can't go and live around Europe as I wanted to, which really upsets me. Um, it means that if I wanted to stay here in Portugal beforehand, I could have stayed for the rest of my life and worked in a cafe or a bar or on the radio or do whatever I want. And now I have to get a working visa for this country. And once I get that, should I get it, then of course I would have to stay in it. It doesn't mean that it would be valid, for example, if I decided to move to Spain and work there for a little bit. So it really has very much reversed the, in my opinion, obvious um, globalisation that we were all inevitably going to have anyway. So I, th I think it's the most idiotic shot in the foot that the British government possibly could have done. Um, and again, it doesn't really matter what I think. Most economists think that it will be extremely damaging to our system. We've already seen a 10% drop in the pound and uh, it will go down probably even more. Um, and then there's all the tariffs and the hassle and the fact that just all the unforeseen stuff, taking your horse to France is now very difficult, for example. Um, <laughs> did you ever consider that? Of course you didn't. Um, this week, truck drivers from the Netherlands had their ham sandwiches confiscated when they arrived at their own port because the meat was bought in the United Kingdom. Did you ever consider that? No, of course you didn't. And did you consider, I don't know, how difficult it would be to get a visa for the people that have got houses in Spain that have lived there for years on end? And recently, um, ironically, some of them voted Brexit, by the way, so well done there. But some of those people, that are British people that live in the south of Spain, in the sun, and have done for decades recently have been asked to go home because they don't have a current income and they need an income to prove that they are worthy of living there under the new rules. So what we're seeing is an enormous amount of old people that had a lovely life in the sun going back to live in bloody Wigan or wherever it is they came from all those years ago and uh, they probably I would imagine rock up outside their old house or their daughter's house or wherever it may be and think what the hell has happened? Did they think about that? I don't know. All I know is that all of this and the other 10,000 questions to do with everything from exporting rubber to fiscal budgets of docking cruise liners, I don't know, all of that stuff cannot be roped into one single solitary question. Do you want to leave the EU? And a lot of people voted for that because they weren't happy. And I think the same parallel has to be drawn with the United States of America. A lot of people are just not happy. The gap between rich and poor has never been bigger. They may have health issues. They may just not have the life they wanted. And it's easier to blame someone than it is to do something about it. So you end up with a situation where people have got a worse life in an act of defiance and rebellion that's made it worse because all they wanted really wasn't necessarily to vote Republican for a guy that used to be on the telly or wasn't to cut ties with Europe because they really hate Europe. They just wanted change. They just don't like their life. And sometimes we all can be guilty of asking for change just for the sake of mixing something up a bit.
I reckon people get divorced from their partner because they just want change, but it could have been the best partner they ever had. That's why they get remarried to them. And on that note, I can only hope that one day in my lifetime we remarry the EU. Because it's had a negative effect on most British people's lives. And those that still stand by the fact that it was the right thing to do will, and I hope I'm wrong on this, probably learn that actually they made a mistake. So there you are. What have we done? We've done Capitol Hill riots, domestic terrorism, that's we've done Brexit. Wow, we just are writing the world. Tell you what, these conversations are a lot easier when no one's uh, answering back. I mean, I am borderline homeless psychopath wandering around the streets of Lisbon shouting into a microphone, but phew, making me feel better. Shifting gears now. Okay, it's a sunny day. There's a dog barking in the background. There's an old uh, babushka feeding the pigeons in the distance. And I'm surrounded by beautiful old tiled buildings. There's uh, some streetcar tracks, tram tracks, running down the centre of the street. And occasionally you may hear the sound of an old squeaky Lisbon tram. The sort that you might find on a tea towel, if you know anyone that's been here and has presented you with such tat. Um, and of course you may well find it on a cork coaster another ubiquitous item of the gift shops here in Lisbon right so I'm going to give you a little rundown of what it's like here whilst I sup my coffee and have a Portuguese pastel pastry and uh, they're the lovely custard tarts that are always fresh and they're about a euro each and uh, I'll try not to eat it too uh, intensely even though they're so bloody nice I just smashed them away in no time so Portugal that's where I am Lisbon the capital uh, about half a million people so not really that major which is kind of amazing really when you think of the impact the Portuguese had on the world everywhere from Macau to Angola um, they really were unlike the Brits of course imperialistic bastards um yeah so here i am in the capital in lisbon and i thought i'd just give you a rundown of what i can see and what it's like around here and um talk about the highs and the lows there's not that many lows but it would be boring wouldn't it if i just sort of told you all the good stuff and the fact that it's sunny nearly all the time and uh, everything's extremely cheap i mean that is true but no one wants to hear that. You want to hear about the dodgy stuff, like, for example, dog shit. They just love it. Well, I don't suppose they love it, but they certainly don't seem to care about it. I have been, uh, I've been surfing a couple of times on a dog poo. <laughs> that's, the, that's the only way I can describe it. I've invented a new sport, dog poo surfing. Um, there's a lot of it around, in many ways, Okay, I'm going to draw a very peculiar comparison, but I think I'm going to go with it. I think Lisbon can be described as 1970s United Kingdom. A lot more dog poo and uh, very relaxed on all rules and health and safety. Yeah, it's kind of a trip. Not only is it a trip to the Iberian Peninsula, but it's also a trip down memory lane because a lot of stuff that goes on here reminds me of my childhood in a way dog poo on the street is a big one but also um, their parking is brilliant it's just 
If, if someone's parked and you want to park, then you just block them in and just get on with your life. Now, you might be on a bus route and you might therefore hold up a bus, but don't worry, that bus will just turn up, won't be able to get past, and will permahonk until everyone in the neighbourhood has alerted you to move your fucking car. And this seems to be a reasonably efficient system, apparently. The other thing that's definitely, definitely worth mentioning is it appears to me that everyone on the entire Iberian Peninsula was born in a helicopter because there is no whispering or talking. There is only one volume and that is about like this. This is a normal conversational rate. But um, there's a tram. But yeah, they just love a holler. And you know what they really love? Every single corner, um, although it's not a city of blocks, of course, so it's not like there's corners everywhere, but every, every non-right-angled corner has a cafe slash bar on it. And I really like them because a lot of them are quite divey. Um, they're just very simple coffee, pastries, whiskies, red wine from a box, and Stella, uh, not Stella, sorry, Superbock forgot where I was. Superbock or um, Sagres, the Portuguese beer, in a little flute. And you can bang back a, a Sagres in a tiny little glass for one euro. And the coffee's one euro, and the pastry's one euro. And there seems to be this sort of wonderfully ubiquitous pricing where everything seems to be the same. Um, so life's easy if you're uh, ably sighted. If you're a blind guy, it must be the worst place to be um, because it is, it, it is a labyrinth of dog poo. Also, you might hear that dogs just bark all day. My mate who lives here warned me when I got here. He said, you will be surprised that the discipline on pooches is pretty much non-existent. Yeah. Um, and the coffee's always really good. Strong. Stand a spoon up in it stuff. Um, and normally black, and if you do like milk, good luck, because it's, uh, if you say a little bit of milk, apparently, when I say little bit, they hear swimming pool. Um, but if we're down to that minutiae of complaints, clearly it's a great country. Most of the fronts of the buildings in the old quarter, and they're... Hmm. Fucking dog, shut the fuck up. I can't believe dogs are capable of barking that long without hurting themselves. Like, it just sounds painful. It absolutely amazes me these dogs don't wear themselves out. Like, how long is a dog capable of barking before it gets bored? All of the buildings here in Lisbon, in the old area, which is most of downtown Lisbon, really, um, are covered in tiles. Sometimes it's called the City of Light because all of those tiles reflect the light back onto the street and it's absolutely beautiful. Quite a benchmark of, of Portuguese culture, particularly the, the lovely blue and white tiles that you see on the, the slightly decaying buildings. Oh, absolutely gorgeous. Such a beautiful place to be. So it's cheap, it's uh, a bit pooey at times, dogs do your head in, but it's um, pretty friendly. I don't speak much Portuguese. What am I talking about? I don't speak any Portuguese. I speak Spanish, which I thought was really close to Portuguese. So for the first little while, I was just walking into shop speaking Spanish, and then I realized, frankly, you're better off with English, particularly as my Spanish isn't that good either. 
Hang on a minute, someone's about to run me over. Diesel old clangers. It's not a rich country by any means, so a lot of the cars are, um, actually they kind of remind me of my childhood as well. Just every now and then you're walking down the road and you'll see like a Citroen 2CV um, in quite good condition, because obviously they don't have the, uh, the issues with having to salt the roads and all that stuff. So um, cars last a long time, as do, and I, this is a bit of a guess, but I think as do people. There's an awful lot of old people, and unlike the UK and Canada where everyone gets locked away because they're old and that's what you're deemed to do as an old person, they're out in force, having a little cheeky beer on the corner and living the dream. Definitely a great place to retire. Thanks, Brexit. Thanks a lot. I'm not bitter. This is very typical. And sometimes I feel like I'm an invisible man on the street as well. Because despite the fact it's COVID right now, as it has been for two and a half million years, um, you're walking down the street and people just don't get out of your way. And then they don't see you unless you're right on top of them. It's ever so peculiar. Maybe I'm just a bit more conscientious of other people. I don't know, but there's some sort of cultural thing. But they're mega friendly, don't get me wrong. They're great. Good bunch, particularly um, particularly in the north apparently, more up to Porto, the friendly they are. And then uh, if you go down to the Algarve, which is exquisite, um, they're apparently less friendly. This is all told to me by my barber the other day. So I don't know if it's true, but he's uh, Brazilian and he's been living here for 20 years. So that was his opinion on it. But generally speaking, yeah, mega friendly people, mega safe. Um, and uh, yeah, just gloriously gorgeous. I really want to go back to the gorgeous because I don't think I did it enough justice. Um, most of the buildings have little standing balconies and if you are lucky enough to Airbnb one of those little puppies, then just the concept of standing on that balcony um, is enough to really light up your day. It is just absolutely wonderful. Weirdly, the locals seem to be allergic to the sunshine and um, I, I am, it's winter so for them this is probably quite cold. It's about 12, 13 degrees but when the sun it's still got some good heat in it so I'm, I'm just like a little sunflower desperately leaning into it wherever I go but the locals, um, I mean it's probably just a case of the fact that they get so much of the bloody stuff they don't seem too worried about it. Most of the buildings have got their shutters down permanently and you never see anyone on their balcony, apart from when you do look up, usually Westerners. Now, of course, there's, uh, I say Westerners, is that right? You know what I mean. I mean, <laughs> Portugal's in the West. You know, what, I don't know why I said Westerners. You know what I mean. Tourists, not Westerners. Bloody Westerners. <laughs> not in Bangkok, am I? Anyway. Yeah, it's a, really, uh, it's a really beautiful place and I highly recommend it. The hills are a uh, fantastic workout. If you're a bit of a lazy fatty, then I don't think this is the city for you. Uh, it probably is the city for you because you'll definitely lose weight here, but you might not enjoy doing it. Um, it did take me a while to get into it. I've become a runner in the last uh, sort of year since lockdown came in. And uh, I must admit running here is difficult, but it is really exhilarating because if you can run up and down these hills, you really are having a fantastic workout. So for every K you do, really, you're sort of doing one and a half just for the sheer amount of effort you're putting in. Really, really good for you. Not too good for the knees on the down, on the downhills. 
So uh, walk down, run up, that's my concept. But uh, yeah, I think I've actually lost weight in lockdown. Pretty chuffed about that. I'm down to uh, 340 pounds. I don't know, I haven't got scales. Bottle of wine in a convenience store. If you get it from the southern region of Portugal, it's almost definitely going to be good. And it's going to cost you two euros. And well, I'm not just saying like, oh, you can get a crappy box wine and sit in a park and um, drink your life away for two euro. Um, honestly, you can get a decent wine for two, two euro. For three euro, you can get a fantastic bottle of wine. And for four plus, um, it's the, the business. You can't go wrong. You can, if you want, get a, um, you know those little juice boxes that you get, like of orange juice? You can get one of them full of wine for 39 cents. I mean, I'm sure it's not very good, but if your objective is to get twatted, this is the country for you. When in Rome, take it easy, baby. Have a meal, get drunk, but just do it in a European stylish way over two or three hours. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's one of my favorite cities on the planet. Um, the more time I spend here, and I've been here a few times now, the more I fall in love with it. It's a walking city, um, and if you feel a bit lazy, you can always get one of those electric scooters. It's a beautiful city with the tiles, as previously mentioned, the lovely balconies and the tiny little medieval streets. It's um, a friendly city and a non-dangerous city. There's a couple of pockets of drug dealing um, that go on downtown, as you would expect. After all, let's not forget that drugs are decriminalised here in Portugal, as they will be probably elsewhere in the world fairly soon, um, which means that you do get a lot of dealers in the street, but they're all right. You just say, no thanks. Or usually when I get offered cocaine, I normally say, no thanks, just had some, which really freaks them out. Um, it is a poor country. You can tell by the state of the police cars that government bodies don't really have that much money. Um, and let's not forget, there was a mass exodus of Portuguese people, which is why there's pockets all over the world of Portuguese people after the last hundred years. And a lot of it was just down to classic case of wobbly dictator, a sort of Portuguese version of Franco. Um, uh, taking everything for himself and uh, I'm not sure they've really recovered from that like this is still not a rich country so a bit of a way to go on that one but it has its charms as a result the cheapness of travel is absolutely outstanding I don't know why anyone bothers getting on these trams I mean apart from the sort of touristy oh isn't it nice to take a picture and be on a tram factor they seem like a complete pointless waste of time to me because Ubers are nearly always cheaper Uber is so insanely cheap here, you can get to the airport in no time for about six, seven euros. Now, admittedly, the airport is extremely close to the centre of town, but I'll tell you what, you wouldn't get away with that in London. My average fare, zipping from Barrio Alto in the centre to Grassa, where I'm now living, um, is two to three euro. For, and that's just for reference, that's like a 15 minute drive. So it's fantastic, really good value. And if you've had a couple of glasses of wine, the last thing you want to do is, is take on those hills. So Uber being cheap is a good thing. So what have you got? You've got your downtown quarter, your Barrio Alto, if you've been here on a stag do, bachelor party, whatever you call it, then you probably will have spent some time there. That's where all the little nestled bars are. It's still got a buzz to it, despite COVID, um, although, 
not quite the buzz it used to have. There is a curfew here. I won't bore you with the details because by the time you listen to this, it's probably changed, but generally speaking, um, like the rest of the world, it's a light version of its former self. But it is absolutely not as restricted as uh, neighbouring Spain and not too far away France. Bloody Covid, eh? I'm so bored of saying that word. I'm so bored of the whole bloody thing. Absolute ball ache. I should call it that. I should call it, forget Covid-19, fancy name. Just call it the ball ache. You know, Boris Johnson can come on and say, sorry I missed the first few Cobra meetings. Sorry I'm an absolute knob jockey of a clown that can't get a handle on this. But uh, turns out the ball ache's got even worse, so you're all gonna have to stay in even longer. Sorry about that. Let's call it the ball ache. Yeah, Boris Johnson missed the first four emergency meeting meetings on COVID. Anyway, let's try and not get on a political rant about that. So what have we got? We've got beautiful hills. We've got Barrio Alto in the centre, the old bit where you've, you've probably had a few pints before. You've got a few restaurants along the river, of course. And my favourite neighbourhood is Grassa, which is uh, very much on top of a hill. Um, there's seven hills in Lisbon, all of which have fantastic viewpoints and usually have a little bar at the top with a guy playing the guitar. Yes, it's heaven. Absolutely love it. Um, but uh, one of them in particular uh, is the area of Grassa. And that area is it's everything that I imagine Lisbon is good for because it's not very touristy. Even out of COVID, it's not that touristy compared to the downtown Barrio Alto. But it, um, it has that really, it adds loads of authentic restaurants and old buildings and extremely exquisite um, little nestled streets, uh, all leading up to a castle on the hill, uh, as you would always get in Europe, uh, which overlooks uh, the bay. And of course, the very famous Red Bridge, which um, I think, I can't remember who copied who. Was it San Francisco that copied Lisbon or Lisbon that copied San Francisco? But same kind of bridge, same kind of deal. Um, and that, that's a bit of a stunner to look at as the sun goes down and you nurse a small glass of Sagres. So what can I say? Come here, it's absolutely wonderful. Get, if you do come here, rent a car, get yourself down to the Algarve, uh, some of the most beautiful beaches. But if I'm not really into beaches, I'm more into sort of like walking along craggedy old, rugged, beautiful, um, nestled bays and, and rock formations and you'll get all that down the Algarve as well loving that and of course if all that gets too boring then you go up to uh, the second city which is way further in the north Porto where port comes from of course and you can get yourself involved with uh, some sardines on toast and a port in the sunshine whilst overlooking yet more spectacular old buildings I mean it's not too shabby is it if you're American or Canadian, you'll get 90 days on arrival. That's how your visa works. You can cruise around the Schengen zone, uh, which is most countries in Europe, for 90 days. If uh, you're from the UK, you're in the same boat now. Thank you, Brexit. And uh, if you're a groovy European, then you can come and live here and do whatever you want. And my goodness, is there a lot of people, uh, are there a lot of people from all over uh, the world dwelling here? It's become a real place for digital nomads such as myself really, um, places, a place that you can come get your laptop out in a cafe or a bar or a co-working space and get a bit of work done and then come the evening there's loads of meet-up groups where you can go and sit in restaurants and chat to people from all around the world 
and I dare say have a bit of fornication if you're free, single and into all that business. So yeah, you could certainly do a lot worse a place to call a global hub and a place to come and settle yourself as many have. Lisbon, it's the bee's knees, it's the donkey's nudges and you should come here. I mean, I'm struggling to find anything. Oh, occasionally um, there's an incredibly uh, intense smell of ammonia where someone's had a piss in the street. But frankly, uh, having lived in East London for a number of years, I can tell you, I think that's just city dwelling, baby. Also, Lisbon is a really good place to base yourself if you're an artist, whether it be a digital one or more of a traditional one. Because it's quite a cheap place to live, relatively speaking, on the you know sort of global capitals, um, it's, uh, it's a good place to settle yourself. But it's not just the cheapness, it's also the fact that it's so arty. Just wandering around the streets, quite often I'll look in a window and someone's doing some pottery or, or doing, doing a painting, or, or there's so many meetups online um, all to do with various arts. There's murals on the side of so many buildings, really outstanding ones, some from uh, the famous artist Obey. And it's just got a sort of pulse to it that suggests that art is very much appreciated. It's, it feels like it's in the blood of it. It feels like it's in the soul of it. You don't see a lot of brand new spangly glass boxes with absolutely no character and people running around with suits desperately trying to make money. It's not that kind of a city. There's plenty of those. If you want to come and make money, I would say this is possibly the worst city you could pick. The local economy is not too brilliant. Um, if you're a digital nomad, as previously mentioned, yeah, it's probably a brilliant one. But yeah, this is not this is not a city slicking banking type city. This is a groovy European arty. Have a pastry, have a coffee, glass of wine, sit down, make love, cuddle a friend, in the order of your choosing. I hope this has been a relatively uh, comprehensive guide. Um, maybe not, but either way, it was a joy to do. Um, I am going to continue my travels this year and I really would like to get to 100 countries and I believe I'm on 81 I think so 19 to go I think I might have the numbers wrong on that I can't remember it's been a long time since I went anywhere new for obvious reasons but yeah this year somehow 2021 is going to be the year where I get a few tick offs and I'm not going to say anything yet but there'll be a new podcast soon with me coming from a new place. I'm only going to leave you on that little cheeky number. But right now I think I'll bid you uh, Bon Nui. Obrigado. Konnichiwa. Love from Lisbon.